excited today because we are talking about a cult classic movie from the 1980s. 1986's Night of the Creeps. It is my first time watching it. And the reason why I'm excited today is because I have my co-host with the most over there, Danny Torquell. But then today we're also joined by author Anthony J. Rapino, who uh, has a YouTube channel of his own. He has multiple novels. And uh, Anthony, I was going to ask you straight off the bat, why did you pick such a gross apocalypse for your apocalypse for your YouTube channel? Such a, a gross one, you said? Yes, yes. <laughs> I, you know, a lot of people assume uh, that I love candy corn. Okay. The candy corn is everywhere. But I actually chose it because I, I don't want to say I hate the stuff, but it's not my, on the top of my Halloween candy list. And I'm, I, I wholeheartedly believe that if there ever is an apocalypse, it will absolutely be brought about by candy corn. So <laughs> it's the candy corn apocalypse. Just I, a nice mashup of words, I thought. Yes. I definitely I, feel like it is a food that will survive an apocalypse. Like cockroaches and candy corn will be all that is left. Yeah, yes. I know there's the whole thing with Twinkies, but candy corn has a much better chance. Yeah. Yes. I, I hope that I am well dead before that apocalypse happens because I am not a candy corn fan. But yeah. I, I am a fan of your channel, though. Uh, Tony has these great videos that he puts out pretty frequently, too, just like Danny, where he goes to like flea markets and gets like cool horror related finds. And so um, did you want to kind of plug that right now at the beginning? Oh, yeah, sure. I, you know, I mean, if I'm being completely honest, that channel had I, I kind of stepped away from it for a bit. So there's. I try to get in there and hit a video every couple months during the slow uh, seasons. But recently, yeah, recently I've been throwing videos up there like every week because I, I, I used to edit them and be all professional and do the lighting and get everything all, all pretty like, you know, but uh, recently I've just been doing it on the webcam. I show off some stuff that I got at the flea market. We talk horror, we talk Halloween. And then I, I just, I post it and I'm like, you know, people watch it. They could fast forward if they want. They could watch it on double speed, whatever you got to do. <laughs> I just, I don't have the time to sit around and, you know, it's not a monetized channel or anything. So it's not, I'm not being paid for my time to edit and go crazy with that kind of stuff. So I prefer to spend my time that time that I would have been editing, writing or sculpting or my day job teaching or whatever. So, uh, but yeah, I, uh, that's actually why we had to push today to noon for me instead of 11, because I was at the flea market. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. And then, um, you know, I know that you also would edit videos that were like nostalgia based. And I think you just put up one about a sleepover too, right? Like mm. 80 sleepovers. Right. So that my channel is uh, Candy Corn Apocalypse. You can find it like under my name, Anthony J. Rapino. I was hired to write scripts for a completely other channel. Gotcha. So uh, that channel is called Retro Days, D-A-Z-E, uh, as in days. And um, uh, that's actually the guy I worked with on the Tommy and the Orb of Cosmic Champions novel, my, my most recent novel. He's the one who like had the story idea and he hired me to write the novel. We kind of partnered up on it and did a whole bunch of cool stuff with that. Uh, but he hired me on to write the scripts for his channel. We got this uh, other nostalgia guy, John from Gen X Grown Up, to host it. So it's like a triple threat sort of deal where we got Anthony Great from Retro Days and John from uh, Gen X Grown Up and me. And we kind of all team up on these videos. Those are much more polished. So if you're like looking for maybe a, something a bit different uh, from what I normally do on my channel, this is all nostalgia 
retro. The most recent one I just wrote was uh, we're getting to the Halloween season. So we're doing Halloween fast food promo items and stuff like that. But yeah, I write the script and I send it off to them and they kind of produce it. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. I actually just took out your book from the uh, library. I got the audio version of it. Uh, and it, it's like, I haven't gone very far, but it really reminds me of being a kid. And like when I was, you know, in my, you know, mid, uh, elementary school years and just being obsessed with He-Man and, and like having all the figures, like that right. really reminds me of Tommy in that book a lot. That's but, uh, this guy. Tommy in Order of Cosmic Champions. Yes. Um, this is a very different novel for me. I usually write straight up horror. So like my other novels soundtrack to the end of the world that's the old cover there's a new cover so this is this one's out of print for quite a while but uh, the new cover is a bit more like you know not quite so graphic novelly right and then uh my short story collections all horror stories and everything so this was different though this is again that guy who runs the the retro site so we were writing a very much like a goonies meets uh the wizard kind of uh, novel where there's a bit of a road trip adventure involved a lot of uh like you said a lot of he-man homages in fact the guy that i work with is he he was basically on top of um the marketing while i was writing the novel and he had he had uh action figures made for the novel so these are these guys are in the in the uh book that so, is so cool, man. Mechanical and uh, Fierce Phantos. Oh. There's a bunch of other stuff, too. He did, like, mini comics, and um, we got uh, an, a licensed soundtrack with a theme song written and performed by Stan Bush, who did the Transformers. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know? I, I remember you, you tweeted about that uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I was just so excited because the Transformers, the movie from 1986, is, like, my favorite movie of all time. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, yeah, you got the touch, man. Oh, God. My friend Brian would be so excited. And and Danny, I think that you'd be very impressed, too, because for the promotional material for the book that he's talking about, he got, like, uh, Tony got some, like, real famous people on there, too, right? Like, you got, like, Corey Feldman, right? And Oh, right, yeah, yeah. See, that was all that was all Anthony Great. So I'm, I'm sitting there writing the novel, and, and every once in a while he'd pop in the Discord. We had, like, a shared Discord server for the project. And he'd go, oh, by the way, yeah. Uh, Corey Feldman just sent me a, a 12 minute video reviewing. Well, actually, that was after we wrote the novel, but while, while we were editing and stuff. And then he got Anthony Michael Hall and um, Nicole Eggert and Joe, Joey Lawrence did a little one. His oh, was wow. brief. That is awesome, uh, man. Yeah. Well, this is why I thought that you would be the perfect guy to come on and talk about like an 80s movie. And then you pitched Night of the Creeps. And I'm so very glad that you did because this is my very first time watching it. Yeah. Now, Danny, I was going to ask you, how many times have you seen Night of the Creeps? Yeah, this was not my first time watching it. Uh, (laughs) Night of the Creeps is like low-key one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, I remember, this was one of those first movies that I remember finding on television, probably like later than I should be awake, maybe like the 11 o'clock movie or something. And I remember having like a crazy crush on Jill Whitlow growing up, like, I, I I think like everybody did and I just and like there there went a time in my life where because this movie was like out of distribution like after VHS there was like never a DVD of it and I 
I started to think I might have imagined parts of this movie. And then when I finally got my hands on a Blu-ray, on a, um, like a, a, what do they call them? Like a, a bootleg DVD of it from a right. horror convention. I'm watching it and I'm, and like the movie starts with the aliens. I'm wearing the shirt and like the movie starts with the friggin' like weird alien. And I'm like, wait, this isn't the movie I saw. And then it's like in the 1950s and I'm like, I don't know what the hell I'm even watching. <laughs> and then like, it took me a while to be like, oh yeah, this is the movie. It's like, because it feels like there are three movies, four movies in one in this movie. Oh, for and me, I love yeah. it so much because of that. I To answer your question, Pete, I probably have seen this movie 25 to 50 times. Uh, I just got the... I, I, I don't just got, but I, I watched... This is the new... Uh, sh uh, I think this is Shout Factory. Um, they, the the Blu-ray, and it's freaking awesome. Uh, I just watched all the special features, too. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's so cool. Uh yeah, I, I I also wanted to show this off. This is my Tom Atkins shirt that he signed. Uh, Thrill oh, me, honestly. nice man. Uh, I remember meeting him at a Monster Mania probably fifteen to eighteen years ago, and he was genuinely pissed that I had an Atkins shirt that like he had not approved for licensing. I like bought it <laughs> off. I like bought it at random off like a website in like 2005. And he's like, yeah, I had nothing to do with that shirt. I'm like, I'm sorry, Tom Atkins, but he was really <laughs> cool after that. But yeah, oh, I, I've loved this movie for as long as I can remember. And I, I actually just introduced it to my 12 year old daughter. She woke up, I was 40 minutes into the movie and I, I just said, sit down. I gave her a bowl of cereal and I restarted the movie and I watched it from the beginning with her. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. That's so, right. I said somewhere. I said yeah, somewhere. Tony, I was going to say, um, Oh, what do you mean by that? You've seen it like less than Danny has less than Danny, but more than you. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. 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 Well, well, I was, I was real shocked, Tony, that like, this was directed by Fred Decker. I didn't even realize that. I didn't like make the connection that Fred Decker did monster squad and he did this. And then uh, he did RoboCop three. I know he's done even more than that too, but yeah. uh, are you a fan of his work? You know, it's funny. Um, it wasn't the first time I saw Night of the Creeps, but uh, it was maybe, I don't know. I probably had seen it a few times at this point, but uh, a few years back, I got to go to, um, they called it Double Decker Weekend, spelled like his name. Uh, it was at the Mahoning right. Drive-In Drive Theater near me. Um, you may have heard of it. I, the Mahoning has gotten a little bit of... Uh, yeah, I, I've been there once or twice. I have friends that go like all the time. It For, for me, it's about a two and a half hour drive, I think. Yeah. So the one time we went, we friends and I actually like got a hotel about 20 minutes away and we we like crashed at the hotel after seeing like a bunch of movies. But it's yeah. awesome. It's really cool. It's a great yeah, it's a great place. It's about 45 minutes away from me. So most seasons we haven't really done it the last couple of years as much as we used to, but I don't know if you know Todd Kiesling. Um he's also a horror writer. We uh Todd and yeah. I and my brother and Todd's wife, we all get together and go out to the Mahoning. Usually we used to go like four or five times a season at least. 
Uh, but Double Decker Weekend was one of the weekends that we went, and it was Night of the Creeps and uh, Monster Squad double feature at the drive-in, and it was absolutely amazing. But I will admit that up until that night, I did not know Fred Decker. So I was like, okay. I knew the movies. I'm not the I'm not necessarily the type of person that like digs into a movie and like takes note of the actors' names and the directors' names and like I will sometimes, but at that point I hadn't known. So that was my introduction. Like, oh, the same guy did both these movies. And that's when I yeah. kind of started to get a bit more fanboy uh, on all that stuff. Yeah, and it's it's crazy, right? Because when I was a kid, I remember seeing the trailer for it multiple times, and I always remember <laughs> that Tom Atkins line where he's like. Okay, girls, good news. Your dates are here. The bad news is they're dead. And I like that made an impact on me when I was a kid. I was like, oh, this looks like a fun movie. But I just yeah. didn't really watch horror movies as much when I was a lot younger. And then, and then like now I'm like, oh, shit, I get to watch this movie. And Danny, you kind of already mentioned this, how it sort of seems like multiple movies in one. Now, I know, Tony, that you um, had said that you did a lot of like research and you watched the special features just like Danny did. Um, did you guys watch like the behind the scenes featurettes that talked about like the act, the actors and the production, that, that stuff? Yeah, I think so. I watched a lot of it. I missed a couple of the newer interviews on the, uh, on the shout factory one. They had like different stuff on each disc. Oh. I only got through about half of the director's commentary because I, that was like maybe the third time watching it in a row. And I tapped out uh, to, cause it was two in the morning, but uh, why? What, what's your, you have something on that? Well, well, no, yeah, yeah, because yeah. I was basically going to say that, like, uh, Fred Decker says that he almost treated it like a stew or something like that, where it's just basically all right. these different horror movie ideas just boiling together. And his inspiration for it at first was the uh, Tom Atkins character, where he was, like, having a dream, and he wakes up from a dream, and it's like this two-fisted detective. And you find out that it's because of this crazy experience he had when he was younger. And like when I'm watching this movie, I, I see the alien stuff in the beginning. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, I don't even know what the hell it was. And then all of a sudden it's black and white. It looks like Pleasantville or something like that. And I'm like, is the whole movie in the 50s? I thought it was like an 80s thing. And then, um, you know, we, you have this killer with the axe. And it almost seems like it's different movies altogether. Yeah. But then it yeah. just kind of comes together in this great stew, like you said. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely a, a pastiche of like B-horror movies and sci-fi 50s uh sci-fi movies um the the intro the the beginning segments that you guys have talked about can absolutely give a viewer whiplash the first couple times watching it in fact the every time i watched it for the first probably two or three viewings i would always forget like just completely forget that the alien segment was in there and i'd be like oh yeah that's right there starts with these freaking aliens um did you see the part in the uh, commentary where he, he he mentioned at a preview, like they didn't intend it, but at a preview, the uh, audience laughed at the when the the first alien kind of runs around the corner and there's a it gets a big laugh. And he's like, we didn't intend it, but it kind of worked out because it gives the audience license to laugh through the movie, which you know it is a funny movie. Oh, yeah. absolutely. It, it also is interesting because like the aliens are literally in the first scene and in some versions in the theatrical version, they are never ever seen again. Whereas in the director's cut, they, the, which I went to the um, Nighthawk cinema by me about early. I, it must've been earlier this year and they played the director's cut of it. And that was the first time I'd ever seen that ending 
Yeah. Uh, the, the ending where Tom Atkins, like, burnt corpse falls down and the... It, and it, it kind of felt with the, like, the creeps going into the cemetery that it was going to be like a Return of the Living Dead, like, sequel yeah. set up. But then all of a sudden you see the spaceship flying over. And again, it's that whiplash effect of like, oh shit, I remember the beginning. There were aliens in this movie. And I think it's interesting that, like, I was just watching in the interviews that, like, to this day, Fred Decker doesn't like any of the endings. Like, he prefers the sci-fi ending with the aliens, but, like, he didn't, the audiences did not like that because of the whiplash effect of it. And then, like, the the jump scare ending, he felt was like a complete betrayal of these two characters that had just survived. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, it's like, it's a nitpick, but um, it doesn't bother me. I, I, I do kind of like the the director's cut ending myself uh, a little bit better. That's, yeah. I was going to ask that question, actually. Did you watch both endings, Pete? No, I only watched the director's cut ending. So I see the spaceship going over the cemetery, and that's the last thing I saw. And I was okay. kind of like, well, what's the implication here? Is the implication that, like, the aliens are going to pick up the creeps and maybe they're going to stop the threat? Because, like, with Tom Atkins walking out and he's all burnt and then the creeps pop out of his head – I was like, oh, okay, it's basically saying like there's gonna be a sequel, or it's like the right. horror movie ending, and but then they show this alien ship, and it almost seems to contradict it. Like, what's the theatrical ending of the movie? So in the theatrical ending, they show uh, it basically ends with the um, was it Chris? Is that his name? I always forget the names of all the yeah, guys. It, Chris, it, Chris Romero Chris and. Romero. Uh, and Cynthia Cronenberg. Uh, right. Yeah, we got to talk about all the names who at yeah. some point. Um, so Chris and Cynthia are doing their goodbye kiss. Oh, absolutely. And that dog comes back, the dog from earlier in the movie. And she bends down to yeah. pet the dog and a creep flies out of its mouth. So. Um, oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of lame. What, what do you all think of that ending? So that's the ending that he sort of, uh, that Decker sort of likens to uh, Carrie's ending. And he was mm -hmm. kind of, in one of those commentaries, he was talking about how all the different 80s movies sort of aped the Carrie ending because it was a big hit and that kind of last scare for the horror movies. And we've gotten so, you know, watching these movies later on, you know, in retrospect, knowing that that was a thing during that time, I think we've gotten maybe a little bit desensitized to it where I think even Danny was kind of said, like, you accept it. It's like, okay, you know, we get it, fine. They wanted that last scare. I prefer the director's cut ending as well because um, it doesn't, it's not, Chris and uh, Cynthia's death is not uh, explicit. It, mm -hmm. You know, it's, you can maybe say like, oh, well, the creeps popped out of his head, went to the cemetery and, and it spreads. But we have that alien ship in there. So it's like you were saying, like it, it leaves enough open for interpretation. Like maybe they're picking them up maybe that in fact you know it's interesting in one of the um you know that spotlight from the ship yeah i saw that as just a spotlight like they were looking for the creeps right in one of the special features on on the disc they showed a creep it was like a graphic that the people who made the dvd did but they showed a creep crawling up a side wall a spotlight went on it and sucked it up oh <laughs> and, and i was wondering that made me wonder. I was like, well, did I misinterpret those as just lights when they really were like beams to beam up mm -hmm. the creeps or 
was that something that the people making the DVD just decided, hey, that's kind of cool, or that's something that they thought, but maybe Decker didn't intend? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. I, I like the um, ambiguity of it, and I also like that it's it's very reminiscent of Critters, right? Like you guys are mm-hmm. way more knowledgeable of horror in general. Critters came out before this, right? Oh, I, I think '86. I think it was the same year. Oh, really? Okay, wow. The thing thing with Critters, I always feel bad for Critters, because Critters, I think, was actually in development before Gremlins, but because it came out after Gremlins, everybody just calls it like a a BS Gremlins clone. Right. And, like, it's... I I still think Critters isn't as good as Gremlins, but it's a fun little movie. But, yeah, it's the same kind of idea of, like, little space creatures coming down and wrecking shit and... Yeah. You know, having needing like badass characters to stop it. Yeah, and in yeah. this case, you just have these like gray aliens with big heads that were played by like little people running around. And that, that was one of the things I liked about the uh, behind the scenes was there was a whole section on the effects for the movie. And they were talking about how, first off, one of the things I really loved was that the guys that are in the, the suits later that are uh, the zombies, they're all like the effects guys, just, mm-hmm. you know, turned into zombies. Um, but then they describe that alien ship scene in the very beginning. And it kind of makes sense that the people laugh because they, it's all very like utilitarian, how they do those effects in the very beginning. It's like one of the creatures, their mouths can move. I think the other two, like their eyes can move, or I might have that reversed, but like, it's just to kind of move the story forward. Okay. There's these aliens and there's some kind of weird experiment and it looks goofy as hell, but it's fun. And, um, I just, I just, in general, the movie's silly, but I think that like it, it never like looks bad, right? Like the whole thing, no. I think it, it like it just the effects, the acting, the music, everything works for the story they're trying to tell, much like Monster Squad. What do you mm-hmm. guys think? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, Decker even said when he was having the sound design, uh, you know, the, I forget the guy's name who did the uh, the score, but he he was. Decker said he was basically hands off for the score and he essentially just told the guy doing it, like, listen, just don't make fun of the movie. Like we want this, this is make the music serious. So I thought that that was very telling that it's, it's got comedic moments, but we're not, it's not. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. uh, Yeah. Like it's not meant to be a parody, I guess. Right. Right. Yeah. I I mean, there's some shots that are, oh, go ahead. uh, The whole idea is just like paying paying homage Mm. and not like, you know, when you're, if you're really paying homage to something, you don't want to make fun of it. Uh, Barry Dvorzan is the the guy who did the score. And yeah, he was interviewed in a couple of the, the, the features also. Uh, I, I like, like, like you guys were saying, I, the movie looks good. Like it looks, even though like these are special effects, that are like it you would think that this would be such like a, a smaller budget little movie but like even the guys working on it like when you find out that like the k the n and the b of k and b like we're working on the movie and like at being background zombies like you know that like the head splitting is gonna look really cool and that the gore is gonna look pretty awesome uh and you know it's so and like the movie takes itself seriously enough, but then also like puts 
go monster squad in graffiti in the bathroom. Yeah. Uh, so like it, it takes itself seriously without taking itself too seriously. Right. Which is the like perfect, perfect balance. Yeah. 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 And, and so here's the thing, right? Is that the cast is actually perfect. So like, you guys have definitely seen more movies with Tom Atkins than I have, right? But I mean, I remember seeing Maniac Cop and uh, Halloween Three. I've, I've, you know, Lethal Weapon. Uh, but he is just in his freaking prime in this movie, you know. And and the fact that he has that line thrill me, you know. <laughs> like, um, it, Tony, I didn't know. Do, do you know Benjamin Percy by any chance? Like the author of Benjamin Percy? No. Oh, okay, okay. He he's a writer. He writes comic books, and he also writes horror novels too, right? Right now, he's working on like X Force and Wolverine and stuff for Marvel. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And he's this cool dude. Uh, and he has a writing book called Thrill Me. It's on writing, and I'm like, he probably got it from this friggin' movie. Yeah. And, and and one of my favorite things from the uh behind the scenes stuff is that Tom Atkins said that this woman just came up to him one day, like she saw him in a mall or something, and she's like, Thrill Me, Thrill Me, and she had like a whole line of like clothing or something based on just that line it's it's yeah. so great <laughs> yeah it's i mean it's definitely one of the things that jump out at you and kind of stick with you after you've seen the movie a couple times uh, not to not to get off topic but i just want to i want to ask something really quick because i didn't know maybe i'm just super unobservant I, as many times as i've seen this movie i swear to god this is the first time I freaking noticed that the that you got the picture of it behind you, Pete. The alien that is letting the experiment go, that's shooting it out of the uh, out of the spaceship. Yeah. The first freaking time I ever noticed that his eyes were clouded over like the zombies that he's infected with the creeps. Oh. Oh shit! That's the first time I noticed that too. <laughs> okay, so it wasn't just me. No. Uh, now I want to go back and, and look at the other ones. Are the other ones chasing him? Their eyes are normal? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's... Wow, that's right? I yeah, was, I was watching crazy. it at the time. I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Yes. It's like that but, explains so much. <laughs> but you know what? It's, it's really interesting though, right? Because this movie has cryogenics in it. And it's like from 1986. And at one point, you know, they're at a college, you know, the guys talk about getting a new girlfriend and stuff. And they're like, Oh yeah, just break into the cryogenics lab. And you have this guy, it looks like it's from the set of like demolition man. We have this guy from the fifties who's basically just in, uh, you know, suspension. That was like, I was like kind of taken aback by that. I was like, what the heck's going on here? But <laughs> he, he looks so good with the frozen kind of effect and then his eyes white, just like the aliens. I, I think that like anytime that anyone is possessed by the creeps, I think it looks really good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then like, it, it's, it's weird because you watch the movie and you see the black and white part and you almost think that that guy is going to be the protagonist from the mm. 1950s, but then he just gets fucking a creep up the mouth, you know? <laughs> I love that segment so much. Just the, the fact that they kind of mashed up so many tropes yeah from 50s uh, horror and sci-fi movies. I mean, it almost makes you feel like you've seen this before as you're watching. You get yeah. the blob vibes from the meteor coming down and them going to explore. It's, yeah, it's just a great little segment. Yeah, and, and I love the dream sequence that Tom Atkins has where he sees that girl that he loved who got killed by the ax murderer and she's like coming, I think she's coming up out of the water, right? But they filmed yeah. it the opposite way. Like, and mm -hmm. they just did it in reverse. Yeah. Such a great sequence. And yeah. Fred Decker said that uh, his favorite movie ever is Jaws and that uh, he uses the Jaws 
Um, yeah. Like the Chief Brody sitting on the beach every time somebody walks in front, the camera cuts. And then he also uses the, I, I forgot what it's called, like the, the wild zoom where it like is going forward and backward at the same time when Tom Atkins sees the zombie of the axe murderer. Yeah. And he, I'm like, Jaws is also my favorite movie. Uh, so I'm like, oh, okay, that makes perfect sense. That, it's good to see that, you know, Fred Decker is, you know, good taste in uh, classic horror movies. Yeah. There's stuff in this movie that's like, a kind of a cut above that makes it, you know, just not your standard slasher. I mean, first of all, just all the different genres or subgenres mixed together. But like that zoom effect, there's also that part where uh, Tom Atkins is like shooting at the end. He's shooting all the different creeps and it's like spinning around with him. The camera's spinning. I love that shot. Yeah. Yeah. He talked about all that stuff, like being just like, so th- I, I didn't know that this was his first movie, his first major movie. And he's, he was talking about how he just wanted to like, get the chance to do all these cool tricks and everything. I mean, it's cool. I always love seeing a movie made by an obvious fan of the genre or of movies in general. Um, And yeah, if I like, if I had ever made a movie, if any of us had ever made a movie, it probably would be, we'd try anyway to do the, all this kind of stuff, get every single, just everything you love into it. I'm, yeah, I'm going to put zombies in there. Yeah, I'm going to put aliens and meteorites and 50s uh, B-movie stuff. And then, yeah, sure, I'm going to name everyone after a horror director. <laughs> in some cases, not even horror directors. Just every name in this freaking thing. <laughs> That's one of my favorite parts because there's, there's one cop whose name is like two horror directors in one, right? You got like... Well, JC, it, it, the cop yells out jc's name and his name is like jason carpenter hooper right 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 yeah it's like okay you mixed a few there yeah but you have like (laughs) sam raimi uh uh james cameron right because that's tom atkins's character at this point yeah oh yeah cronenberg right george romero yeah but i was gonna ask you guys um at this point what it would have been that terminator had come out right just terminator and piranha 2 for cameron Would aliens have come out by this point too? Well, it, aliens came out in '86, so I don't. I don't know. I I can't imagine that they had seen it before. Yeah. That while the, I mean, this movie is probably in production at the same time. Yeah. Wow. What a fucking year, right? Because it's like oh, yeah. There's critters. also yeah. Go there's ahead. also the uh, one of Fred Decker's friends in that period was Steve Miner, who directed uh, House. And Friday Thirteenth's Part Two and Three, and the uh, the janitor, you know, uh, crying like banshees. That guy's <laughs> name is Mister Miner, which I'm a hundred percent sure is a reference to Steve Miner. Yeah, it must be. Must be. He wrote. Didn't didn't did Decker write or have partial credit for House? Yeah, he did. Right? I okay. think so. I, he at least has a story credit for it. Yeah. I I, I think he wrote it though. Okay. Oh. So I think they mentioned House in this documentary too, right? Because doesn't the poster for House have like a zombie trying to get in a door, mm-hmm. right? Um, I've actually never seen House. I don't even know what House is about. So, ooh, isn't this House is view? another bonkers movie. Like it, there's stuff in there. You'll be like, oh, it's a haunted house movie, and then it's a Vietnam movie, and then it's all sorts of weird and wild shit. It's a lot of fun. It's a yeah. lot of fun. Okay. And it stars uh, the great the great American hero. 
William Cat. William Cat? Who I don't even know who that is. Who's that? Believe it or not. Um, oh, the dude that's like that. he's like literally flying and shit. Okay, okay, yes, I got you. That guy. I got you. Okay, okay. Um, but they were saying that's part of the documentary for Night of the Creeps, where they're saying how like the marketing for the movie kind of sabotaged the movie, right? That like the poster was kind of generic and it had that zombie going into the house. And it just didn't do well at the box office, right? Yeah, I think they even only, what he said, they re- released it regionally. So it wasn't like a full release. Um, and it's interesting, too, because it, so- it sounds like they threw money at the production up until that point. I mean, there was uh, that, that whole end sequence with the in the shed when they when the Cynthia and Chris are kind of like locked in the shed that was yeah. all built after the fact and they shot all that after the movie because of the pacing being a little off or something and um yeah they, they threw money at it until then and then something happened oh it was the um he said it was the the preview the movie preview went very poorly and I think they lost confidence in it or something they didn't know what to do with it or some crap like that yeah you know, I'm glad they added that shed sequence because I thought that was great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Danny, I don't know if you'd seen this, Tony, too, but um, Danny and I had just um, watched this movie called The Barn and then The Barn 2. Have you seen either of those? The Barn. I saw the first one, not the second yet. Okay, okay. Well, in, in the first one, actually, I, I was thinking it was the second one, but it's the first one. There's a sequence where they all get kind of swarmed by these sort of zombie creatures, and then they're fighting them with appliances like that, too. And it really reminded me of, or maybe it's in the second one, shit. <laughs> but it really reminded me of Night of the Creeps. Like, you could kind of feel the influence of Night of the Creeps on other horror movies that we've seen. I was even thinking with the shed scene, I'd love to ask Peter Jackson if the lawnmower kill in this movie inspired, like, Dead Alive, uh, the, the scene in Dead Alive. Yeah. I, and, of course, like, I'm assuming, I don't know about you, Pete, because you, your horror... You have a lot of gaps in your horror. Uh, <laughs> I do. But uh, uh, Tony, did you you've seen uh, Slither? Yes. Oh my God! Yeah. Okay, because Slither is like, it's a, it basically an unofficial remake of Night of the Creeps. It's right, and and Night of the Creeps is, uh, and I mean he pays homage to Cronenberg, so it makes sense. But it, it's very close to at least the creatures like uh, Shivers. Shivers, yeah. 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 That's why, honestly, like. It's again, it's one of those like weird blind spots I have. Cronenberg's name is so out there that that has always been like the first. I was like, oh, Cronenberg, of course they, they're paying. But sometimes, like, I it took me a couple of views before I was like, oh, wait, Romero and, and oh, wait, Raimi, because they, they aren't quite as prominent the names necessarily. Um, a couple of them are only mentioned maybe once or twice, right? Some of the yeah, like, and like I think like Sergeant Raimi is just like a, a random officer, like right. Detective Cameron. Like again, like Cameron isn't like a prominent. What well, even back then he wasn't a prominent horror director. So like right. he, I don't know if his name bears the weight of Cronenberg. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like they even had Landis in there, right? Detective Landis. I think there's a Detective Landis in there also. Yeah, they just yeah they, as many director names as they could, they just shoehorn in there, you know. Oh, Corman University. Oh, oh course, there you I go. That one. Jesus. That's one of my favorite shots in the whole movie is when in the '50s sequence, 
when the girl is in the car and she's listening to the radio and they're like Route 66 West, <laughs> right near Corman University, and she looks up at the sign and you can barely see like Route 66, and then she hits the lights and it's like Route 66 West, Corman <laughs> University, three miles. I'm like that is such a perfect I little love shot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really, my daughter got a kick out of that one too. Yeah. Uh, you know, but that brings up a part that I kind of wanted some clarification. You guys have seen this multiple times, right? So basically what happens is there's this serial killer that gets out of a mental institution. He kills people with an axe, and then uh, Tom Atkins kills him and buries his body, right? So he has nothing to do with the creeps at all. And just by coincidence, I guess the creeps dig into his corpse and reanimate him. That, that's it, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Okay, okay. I think there was a deleted scene that that makes that a bit more explicit. They show the creep kind of dart underneath the, uh, you know, whatever they call the the, the house mother, the house mother, house mother's oh, cottage. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh yeah. So they, they, well, go ahead. I guess they decided they're like, oh, we don't need to show them this part. Yeah. Well, when they kill the house mother too, I thought that was actually pretty gruesome when he brings the axe down on her. I think it does like a close up of her mm. face. Yeah, that was that was brutal, man. I was trying to remember, do you, Danny could probably answer this because it has been a while since I last watched it. And this, I forget if I mentioned that this was the first time I ever saw the director's cut. So this okay. was this viewing that I just did a couple of days ago was the first time I ever saw that alternate ending. Um, was there anything else different in the director's cut? Because it's been long enough that I wouldn't have noticed. Yeah, I, I'm honestly not sure. I don't think so. I think the big thing is the, the ending being restored but I, they, I i i have vague memories of all of these things from when i was a kid like like i said from the first time i saw it it just to like seeing it again years later because the movie feels like all these different kind of genre films coming together it, it took me a while years ago to be like oh wait aliens the 50s the axe murderer the zombies this is all one movie yeah. And so, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I, I, I don't want to say I'm pretty sure, but I think it's the same up until that ending part. OK, yeah, I was I was just curious because I know sometimes with like director's cuts, they'll be like they added four seconds to this like axe coming down on a face. So you get like a little bit more of the. the so when you mentioned that being a bit gruesome, I was like, yeah, I wonder if there was any just like slightly extended stuff that they maybe cut down a bit uh, in the theatrical one. But. Yeah, it's only a couple minutes, right? A couple minutes difference between the uh, two versions. Yeah, eighty-eight the, minutes versus ninety. Yeah, the version I had is ninety minutes, which is the uh, the director's cut. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's it's interesting, right? Because like the movie is kind of gross. I mean, just these slugs kind of going in people's mouths and stuff. And there's there's one part in particular when Cynthia's next to her ex-boyfriend and she's just sort of talking about their problems and he's just a zombie and the things are falling out of his face it makes this really gross noise it's almost like toilet noise yeah yeah it's like yeah i can't even do it but um when you listen to the special effects guys and how they made all of it i i love the fact that to make the creeps burst out they would put a plunger into like a mannequin body and just shove them up and they would just shoot out of the bodies i love that yeah. So nasty. <laughs> and then they had like little creeps that were on like uh, remote control cars just darting about, <laughs> you know, it, I, I just I love the practical effects. And one of the effects guys makes a comment about that on the behind <laughs> the scenes where he's like, 
the producers and stuff weren't involved. We were just able to make stuff and we wanted to make cool stuff, you know? And like that 1986 time that we keep talking about all these movies from it, there's just so many cool visual things from that time period. And it's just because people could just be creative and not worry about connecting shit or anything like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I know this is a conversation that happens often among horror fans, but the practical effects, man, that's where it's at. I mean, we see it coming back a little bit with lovers of the genre when they make movies. Um, I just, I just watched a movie and I was like, what was it? Uh, the, the last voyage of the Demeter. Yeah. And um, I, I found myself almost the entire movie wishing that they had not, I, I mean, Dracula is basically CGI, the whole friggin' thing. Oh. Um, and I was, uh, and I found myself w- wondering what it would have looked like had they not used CGI for that. Um, I would have liked it more, I think. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I haven't seen it. I know Danny has, but I bet you the uh, Francis Ford Coppola Dracula effects are cooler than this one, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Like, I, I I, I feel like, uh, like you said, like lovers of the genre are becoming filmmakers now, like guys who are around or people who are around our age and maybe like a few years older who are like making movies. And even if they don't have a lot of the budget, they're putting all of their budget into practical effects. Like the, the movie that springs to mind for me is, uh, I think it's a movie we covered, Pete, The Void, uh, which... Yeah was made by Ashton Six, I think like Steven Kostansky and Kostansky, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, and that movie is just insane. And and it's it's blatantly an homage to Carpenter and to Hellraiser and things like that. Yeah. But the, the practical effect the, the void. void. Oh the void. Right on. Yeah, I, I missed uh, what you said. Yeah, I like that movie a lot. Yeah. Well, that's Stephen Costanzi, right? And he did like Psycho Goreman. Psycho Goreman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a fun one too. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like Night of the Creeps is like right in that <laughs> vein. It's in that like Psycho Goreman vein. I mean, Psycho Goreman's like a little bit more silly, but it's still that kind of like practical effect, all this weird sci-fi stuff, horror stuff mashed together, just that love of the genre. Uh, I was just trying to think what else I wanted to cover on there. I, you know, we actually didn't really talk about the main character and his friend. I think that we should kind of talk about their friendship for a minute too. Cause uh, you have Chris and JC, right. And uh, Chris, he's just kind of this generic everyday hero. Uh, but JC, I felt like really stood out because he's got that like sarcasm. He's got a couple of clever lines in there. Um, when you guys saw him die for the first time, what, what did you guys think? Was it, did you feel bad for him? Did you, you know, what did you guys think? I was so pissed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that character. I like JC a lot more than I do Chris. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's by design because you need that that character arc. You need the, uh, you know, dynamic character changes from the beginning to the end and all that stuff. But uh, man, Chris gets under my skin at the beginning. Yeah. And JC is just saying all the things I want to say, you know? <laughs> yeah. He's also like the best wingman ever. Right. Like it, here's a guy who like has all the confidence in the world, just goes up to beautiful girls at like a frat party to sell his best friend from across the room. Who's really just a giant doofus. 
And then when he notices like the first inkling that the girl might be interested in Chris, he immediately like takes off. Of course, in a scene that leads to his death, which makes it even worse. Cause it's like this guy, like the reason he died alone in a fucking bathroom is because he wanted to give his friends space to be with like the girl that he likes. But uh, yeah, I, I was also a little surprised like, that, you know, a character with a disability was given such, like, a kind of unceremonious ending. Uh, I do like the fact that, like, he gets that, like, audio recording. Right. Kind of, like, epilogue to his character and, like, his body gets found. Uh, so, like, I feel like his character got some justice and, like, it gave them, like, he's the one that gives Chris the, the, the way to kill them with fire. So... He he doesn't die in vain, uh, you know. So that's true. I, I, it it still sucks though because he was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Was his um death the same in the original cut and the director's cut? Where essentially he's in like the furnace room, right? He's figured out that like fire kills them. Yeah. Yeah. He's just basically like face down. They don't show any kind of like gore yeah. or anything real disturbing. Yeah, I like that. I like his recording. And I, I did kind of think when I saw that he had the crutches, I was like, oh, is something going to happen where he gets taken over by a creep and then he doesn't need the crutches? And then he says that in the recording. He's like, I was able to walk for the first time, you know? It's heartbreaking. And, uh, That's like one of those real moments where you're just like, oh, my God. Exactly. Yeah, it is heartbreaking. And I I like that, like, he's a very heroic character at the end because he's able to kind of like control himself long enough, even after he's been taken over to get down to that furnace room and sort of make sure that he doesn't spread this any further and to make the recording to tell his friend what's going down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's cool seeing like the actors talk about their roles and like, you know, being in the movie, cause they seem to really all get along with each other. I bet you they've done a bunch of cons together. Um, when you watch the behind the scenes stuff, they show them at a screening and I, th- I think it's at the Ritz, the Alamo Ritz, which is here in Austin, you know? And I was like, oh, man, I wish I could have gone to that. But I just, I didn't know about it at the time, you know? Um, yeah, that was a while ago. I think that was uh, that was the original DVD release, right? Oh, yes, yes. And so I was wondering when that came out because everybody looks like really young. I was like, wow, they aged well. But it probably the DVD came out like 20 years ago, you know? <clears throat> it was, yeah, I, I, you know, I checked the, the date too and now I don't remember. But it, it's a while back. It's all good, yeah. So, uh, what do you call it? I, th- I think we kind of covered all our bases. Well, Is there anything else? I just want to. Yeah. I just want to add because I, I one thing that I found really weird about the, especially the three uh, younger people, uh, main characters in the cast. Like, I look on IMDb and they really their careers kind of sputter out. Like, okay. and it's really interesting that like Tom Atkins is pretty much the thread of this movie that has gone on. He was there before and he continued on because he's Tom fucking Atkins. (laughs) But like Fred Decker's career for a guy who made back to back, like cult hits in the eighties, his career really stalled out as a director. He only really directs one more mainstream movie, which ends up being RoboCop three, which I just watched for the first time. And I unironically enjoy it, but it's also not good. Yeah. <laughs> and he knows it. And like, he's like apologized for it, I think. And then he's really not done anything else for almost 30 years, aside from uh, a little bit of writing. 
and Jason Lively, Steve Marshall, and Jill Whitlow all don't have like a big like career. Like they they kind of also like little bit parts here and there over the last two and a half to three decades. Uh, and, and I kind of found that interesting. Like I, I, I would have, especially Joe Whitlow, just cause she's, she was so cute in this movie. Yes. And like, that was like a type in the eighties, like, mm-hmm. you know, brunette leads <clears throat> who, you know, could play like an everyday girl next door type. And I would have pegged her to be a like big time or at least like modicum of stardom going and like none of them really went on to do much, which I just found kind of weird. Yeah. I mean, I know that I don't know if Decker like blames these movies, but he certainly implies that having the back to back uh, essentially failures at the time, uh, neither creeps and monster squads didn't help anything for him. Um, it's, it's interesting how that these two movies now are so loved and, and well thought of, but at the time could have very well been like the kiss of death for, I don't know if it was, I don't want to put like, say like, that's what happened to the actors, but, uh, it could have contributed to it because they, it certainly wasn't, um, I, they were considered failures. Yeah. I mean, that was, it, it, you know, we, Pete and I have done uh, a ton of videos about the In Search of Darkness documentaries. Yeah. And one of the things that continually comes up, especially with like John Carpenter, is how many of his movies were not appreciated at the time. And like the thing, obviously, and then the other big one was Big Trouble in Little China, which is like an all time bomb. And yeah. it's awesome. And we all love it. But like, and that was also 1986. Holy crap. Whoa. And, and it's just like, it, it feels like those movies, what, what's the line I'm thinking of? They're like, uh, oh, it's the line from Back to the Future where he's like, you know, you guys aren't ready for this yet, but your kids are going to love it. Yeah. And it's like, I feel like that, that, that line by Marty McFly has like an entire genre of 80s movies that like we found in the 90s and we're like, this was like, a, a blockbuster, right? No, nobody saw it. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's crazy. It's insane. I will say this for the movie too. Uh, if it needed another feather in its cap, I give it this one. It's perhaps the only horror movie that has a cat scare that pays off. Oh yes, yeah. yes. Very good point. Yes, yes. And and that scene reminded me so much of uh, the scene in Reanimator where where. He Herbert West puts the cat in fridge, cat dead back later, and, and it's like that, you know. It, it yeah, they this movie. My daughter, the only thing my daughter didn't like about this movie was it had like a, a zombie cat and a zombie dog, mm, and she was yeah. like, "No, not both pets." Uh, <laughs> yeah, that dog is fantastic. Though I mean, it's in the image that's behind us right now. I think that looked really good in the movie. Just the, the creature effects and stuff were in it were so good. But uh, Danny, you know, you bring up this great point about how, like, we appreciate it kind of after the fact. You know, we enjoy it. Um, Tom Atkins was talking about the fans for this movie. And he was saying that the fans, they like this type of movie because it's fun. And it's not this kind of cynical thing. It's not this dark kind of horror movie. And, and you, know, you want to have a good time. And, and so, um, 
I think that that's what this is, and that's what Monster Squad is. And it, it kind of makes sense, too. We forgot to mention that, like, Shane Black was actually um, Ted Decker's friend, too. You know, and, and so, like, you know, he wrote Monster Squad, too, right, with Ted Decker? Fred, yeah, with Fred Decker. and he Fred he, Decker, sorry. We'll, yeah, he was in that crew uh, with Steve right. Miner also. That was another thing that I, again, just about, like, Fred Decker's career not taking off is that, like, all the guys around him, like – what Shane Black's career literally took off as soon as this movie ended. Like yeah. Lethal Weapon came out and he was like the it action writer for a while in Hollywood. Uh Steve Miner always did good in the horror genre. He did House in 86 and then he'd come back and direct Halloween H2O uh in the late 90s. And he was always working pretty steadily. And so like when you have guys that like, I, I think like Fred Decker's last credit actually is coming back to co-write the really bad, the predator with Shane black. Oh, Oh, that one. Oh, that's rough. I just had a oh, visceral yeah. reaction to that movie. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love the predator actually, but not that movie. Yes. Yeah. Um, what do you call it? Uh, yeah. Just that time period, man. Just the, the creativity is so awesome. Um, do, do y'all have anything else you want to add to the discussion? I think, I think I, I hit most of the points that I was, uh, planning on talking about. Cool. Well, Tony, I was going to say that, like, I actually really enjoyed talking to you. I've never like talked to you in person before this. And I think that like, you really brought a lot to this conversation and I, I'd actually like to have you back on the last guest if you ever want to come back on. Yeah, sure. That'd be cool. Awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, do you want to go ahead and just like plug your stuff before we sign out? Oh, yeah. Uh, so if you're interested in uh, reading any horror novels, I have a few of them. Uh, I showed most of them at the beginning. So if you want to check me out, you can find me on anthonyjrapino.com. Uh, essentially, you could just kind of search my name and you'll find me places. So I'm on Twitter under the same name, Instagram, either Anthony J. Rapino or Candy Corn Apocalypse. You can kind of find me almost anywhere that way. Yes. I don't know if I'd rather eat candy corn or watch the predator again. One of those two. I'm not sure. It's a tough call for me, but yeah, but uh, thank you so much for being on and we had a good time. Danny and I will be back next week. We're covering robo doc uh, episode two, but uh, we got a lot more stuff coming up for you on the last cast. Thank you guys so much for watching. We'll see you all soon.